Well, I think we have PA system today, don't we? That's great. Yeah. Someone last week told me that when I turned and faced that flag, my sound went off. And I said, well, pull that flag down, will you? That flag's doing it. We don't, we don't want that to happen. So anyway. Well, this is a day where, uh, where uh, more people will take a nap in the afternoon than any other day of the year. Jim, uh, Pat's not going to Maui, not Hawaii. She's going to Maui, West Africa. Did you say? Yeah. <laughs> so she's suffering. <laughs> when you said, well, somebody has to have a mission trip. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, yesterday I uh, spent all morning and uh, afternoon and most of the evening at a conference out in, uh, near the airport. Uh, called the uh, Society for Biblical Literature. It's theologians and professors from every shade of theology that you can think of. It's always good to go to a place like that and find out what other professors around the Southwest are teaching their students. And it's amazing that uh, you, you sit there and you listen to papers. We're talking about academic papers from smart people who write in the biggest academic journals in the world. And they talk about the Bible being a myth, and they talk about, you know, the feminization, what the Bible says about, you know, Eve and the spirit of Eve, and who possessed the witch of Endor, and who was the spirit of Sophia, and it's really strange. So I didn't get to hear too many good papers uh, yesterday, and I really appreciate just coming back and being able to open the Bible and teach it word for word. It's... Uh, you know, it feeds me, and I'm sure it feeds you as well. Uh, right after class, we're going to have about a three-minute uh, President's Council meeting, and uh, we're just going to meet right over in that corner. We don't even have to sit down just for a few few minutes, and so if you can remember that, that would be great. Okay, take your Bibles and open up to Luke chapter 22. And if you're a guest, uh, what we do is we go through the Bible verse by verse, and right now we're in the Gospel of Luke, and we're... Uh, heading down the finish line after today, we'll only have chapter 23 and 24. And if I'm correct, we will be on the resurrection of Jesus probably Easter morning. So it just happened to prov providentially work that way, so that's great. And we're going to begin at verse 54, and we're going to go to the end of the chapter. Now last week we left Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane facing a posse who was going to arrest him. And today, we are going to look at the remainder of the chapter, and we're going to divide the rest of this chapter into three parts. We're going to cover verses 54 through 62, and there we're going to see Peter's denial. Okay, Peter's denial, 54 through 62. Then we'll go from 63 to 65, and there, there we will see the soldiers revile. The soldiers revile Jesus. And then in verses 66 through 71 we'll see Jesus' trial before the Sanhedrin. When we look at Peter's denial, we will see that's characterized by failure. Uh, he has said he would stand with Jesus, go to prison with him, and even die with him. And here we see he fails Jesus and he denies him. Then when we get to the soldiers reviling Jesus, we will see folly. We're going to see how a group of people 
act like little children playing a game and when the matter is very serious and it's not time to play games. And then in verses 66 through 71, we'll see Jesus' fate is sealed and it's sealed by his own words, which is, which is very interesting. So let's look at Peter's denial, verse 54. <clears throat> Having arrested him, that's the, uh, the mob that comes out and arrests Jesus, they led him and they brought him into the high priest's house. Now, it doesn't mean they took him right into the front door of the man's house, but they took him into the, uh, the high priest's complex, which included a courtyard in the middle. And that's where they take Jesus, into this courtyard area. We know that from other uh, Gospels. And then, you see at the end of verse 54, the word but. So they take Jesus into the middle of the priest's compound, into the courtyard, but Peter followed at a distance. Now, right when you, when you read something like this, you uh, immediately realize that uh, this is not a good sign. Uh, because Peter, uh, before this incident, in the Garden of Gethsemane, pulled out a sword and cut a man's ear off. He was very brave, and now he's acting like a, a coward. He's being very cautious. Notice that phrase, at a far distance. He's, he's curious. He's, before he was ready to fight, now he's just curious. He wants to see where they take Jesus. And he wants to see what happens to Jesus, but he doesn't want to be involved any longer, which is very interesting. Now, the high priest is Caiaphas. We know from other Gospels that Jesus is also taken to Annas' place first, just a stopover, and then they move him to Caiaphas, his father-in-law's house, basically for a trial. All this is taking place somewhere around midnight. He's been in the Garden of Gethsemane, and so... It's the, you know, in the middle of the night. But the focus in these verses is not on Jesus, it's on Peter. That's why it says they took Jesus, but Peter. So we're going to see what happens to Peter in these particular verses. And so the setting is the courtyard. Now look at verse 55. Now, when they kindled the fire, who are the day? Well, it's the same day in verse 54. They led him, look at verse 55. They kindled the fire in the midst of the courtyard. Uh, why would they kindle a fire in the midst of the courtyard? It's cold, that's why you fix the fire. <laughs> it's uh, a very cold spring night. <laughs> you know, after midnight, it even gets cold here occasionally, you know, in the, in the spring. Uh, so they uh, kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard, and they sat down together. That's the, uh, the mob. And Peter sat with them. Now notice that. These two verses talk about proximity. In verse 54, far distance from Jesus. Far distance from Jesus. Verse 55, he sits down with the enemy. Close to them. It's very interesting, isn't it? We don't know where Jesus is. All we know he's probably been chained. And he's somewhere in that courtyard compound, maybe chained to a stake, maybe being uh, guarded over by one of the soldiers, one of the temple police, we're just not sure. But there's Peter right there in the midst of them, which is very interesting. But he's there incognito. In other words, no one knows it's Peter. He's just sort of 
lingering behind, and they go into the courtyard, and he sort of catches up, and he's cold just like everybody else, and he moves up next to the fire, and he's listening to the conversations that are going on, maybe even conversations about Jesus. Then in verse 56, he's discovered. Look what it says. Now a certain servant girl, this would be uh, maybe a girl 14 or 15 years old, seeing him, that's Peter, as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him. Notice that phrase, looked intently. I want you to just put that in your mind and keep it there for a moment. But what she does is she stares at him. She's, she's uh, giving him the once over. And so she looks at him intently and says, This man was also with him. The guy we had arrested over there. He was with him. But Peter denied him, saying, Woman, I don't know him. Look, I don't know him. Uh... Very interesting. Can you imagine the shock on Peter's face when the woman said, look, she didn't speak to Peter. You notice that? She spoke to one of those other guys. See in verse 57? Verse 56? Hey, this is one of the guys who was with him. He must have been, you know, shocked. Because he's caught. You ever been somewhere where you shouldn't have been and you got caught? I know you don't do it now, but when you were a kid, man. <laughs> when you're doing that, the, children, the kid puts his hand in the cookie jar and gets caught. <laughs> or you've done something that you shouldn't do, and suddenly you look up, and there's somebody from the president's class. <laughs> That's a, I mean, your heart sinks, you know, your face gets red, you know, your blood pressure goes up. <laughs> so you so here's the situation. Uh, he's caught. And uh, what makes it so bad is back in verse 33, he committed to, you know, to die with Jesus. And now he, uh, he denies even knowing Jesus. He says, uh, she said, this guy was with him. And he says, who are you talking about? Me? Yeah, you were with him. With who? Jesus. Jesus who? You know, one of those things. It's one of those things where you don't want. You're, there are other people that you know that you don't want to associate with. I have a couple of people that I can call them friends, I guess. <laughs> but when someone says, do you know so-and-so, I don't want to admit that I know that person. Why don't I? Because that person is either an embarrassment to you or, or something. And so that is what Peter's doing. He's putting Jesus in that kind of a category. That's not a good thing. So this is where Peter is. No knowledge, he says. Now look at verse 58. After a little while, another saw him. So notice she looked at him intently, and another saw him, and this time he speaks directly to Peter. He said, you are one of them. And Peter said, man, I am not. Now, in the first instance, he denies knowing Jesus. Now he denies associating with Jesus. He says, well, you, you not only know him, you were one of his men. I saw you back there in the garden. And he says, no, I'm not. Now, notice what he calls the, the servant girl. 
in verse 57. He says, woman. In verse 58, he says, man. We don't even know these people's names. And this is pretty rough language. Peter is, uh, is not a happy trooper right here. One of the other passages says that he actually curses. And he swears, and he takes an oath, and he says, I don't know this guy. Now look at verse 59. Then after about an hour, so now we've had, notice there's a sequence here. There's a, there's a passing of time. Sits by the fire for a while, half hour passes, the girl looks at him, she's, you know, giving him the once over. She says, oh, you, you, and she points him out, and then the man a little bit later, and now an hour later, it's about you know, 2 3 o'clock in the morning. And so what we have is an hour later passes, an hour passes, and another, look at how this says this, confidently affirmed. He said, wait a second, I'm sure now. There's no mistake about it. He confidently affirmed, saying, surely this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And he's heard Peter talk when he talked to the woman. He talked to the other man. And he recognizes that Peter has a northern accent. He's, he's from up north. And they are down here in <coughs> Judea. They're southerners. He's a northerner. You can spot a Yankee you know, a mile away. <laughs> and they spot him, and they know what Jesus is. Jesus is the Galilean, isn't he? He's the man from Nazareth. All of his followers are from Galilee, and his accent gives him away. So what does Peter say? Man, look, verse 60. Man, I don't know what you're saying. Think about that statement. Uh, I, you're one of those gals, you were with him. And quizzically, Peter says, what are you talking about? What you're talking about, man? See? So this is these these three denials, and immediately, verse sixty says, while he was speaking, while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Now, when we were dealing we dealing in the Gospel of Mark, I told you I didn't think it was the rooster that crowed. Uh, in fact, the King James doesn't use the word rooster, does it? What does it say? The cock crowed. And the New Revised Standard Version says the cock crowed. And this is actually, I believe, a reference to a bugle or a trumpet that is blowing. It was called, the bugle was called the cock. And it blew, the trumpet was blown at certain times of the night for the changing of the guard. And the reason I don't believe it's a rooster for two reasons. Number one, roosters don't crow at three in the morning. They crow when? Yes, dawn. Second of all, Jewish law forbade roosters within the city limits. So I don't believe it's the rooster. I believe that this is referring to a blowing of the trumpet at three o'clock, which signaled the changing of the guard. Uh, you can go to Bible dictionaries and you can look this up. But the Romans and the Jews adopted the Romans' method of dividing the, the uh, evening into four periods, four watches. The first watch was called evening, the second watch was called midnight, the third watch was called cockcrow, and the fourth watch was called the morning watch, which occurred at dawn. 
And over in Mark 13, you see that. Uh, Jesus mentions those four different watches. And this means this is the third watch. And so there's the bugle and the changing of the guard. Okay? So, uh, I think Peter denies Jesus for the third time, and then he hears, He said, why are people blowing bugles at night? Well, why do they do it over in Iran at night, at five in the morning, and get you up for prayers? I mean, that's just the way it is over there. So, they had these, uh, this bugle call, the changing of the guard. Now, where's, where's brave Peter right now? What's happened to brave Peter? What's happened to Rocky? Huh? Uh, the same thing that happens to Alan. The same thing that happens to George. The same thing that happens to Jane. The same thing that happens to Sally. Uh, one minute you can be brave for Jesus, and the next minute you can turn your back on him just like that. And you just caught off the guard, aren't you? And it happens. So this is, uh, each one of us is capable of doing something like this. But the worst part is verse 61. When Peter denies, and then the cock crows, and the Lord turned, and he looked at Peter. Three other people have looked at Peter intently, haven't they? The girl, the man, and then the second man, and they said, you're one of his, you know him, you're a Galilean, you've been with him from the start. He said, no, no, no. And then Jesus turns and looks at Peter. Now, if you think his blood pressure went up about 50 points when the girl looked at him and said, you're one of his, and he said, no. What do you think happened to Peter when Jesus looked at him after he's denied Jesus for the third time? And yet, there are poems written about this, Jesus turning and looking at the woman. Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote a poem called The Look. And in it, she says, it's not a look of condemnation, it's a look of mercy. <coughs> and it's a look of forgiveness. And I believe that she hit it right on the head. It's not, I believe that Peter was taken off guard and his blood pressure, you know, just went out the roof. But I believe that in reality, it's this look of unconditional love. And, of course, what did Jesus say just earlier in that evening? The cock will crow. Before the cock crows, you'll what? Deny me three times. And so by looking at Peter, he just drives the point home. I told you so. And Jesus here, therefore, is shown to be a prophet. Then, in the middle of verse 61, it says, Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the cock crows or the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And so Peter went out, and he wept. Bitterly. That's the response of Jesus looking at him. He goes out and he weeps bitterly. He, he is remorseful immediately. Immediately. He is instantaneously crushed and he exits stage left and Peter goes off the scene. And now the camera moves from Peter and it begins to focus on Jesus. So now we come to the soldiers reviling Jesus. With Peter off the scene, we go to verse 63. 
Now the men who held Jesus, this is probably the temple police, mocked him and beat him. Uh, typical behavior for immature people who are given authority. Typical behavior of immature people who are given authority. Just look what some of our soldiers did over in the prison at Gitmo. Did some of the most degrading things to those prisoners. Jesus is a prisoner. They do the most degrading things to Jesus here. You said, but those prisoners were threatening our country. You know what the Jews thought about Jesus? You know what the Romans thought about Jesus? He's threatening our country. He's threatening our authority. Uh, that's what happens. Now, none of us, if we were in charge of somebody, we wouldn't be acting like this, I don't think. But this is what happens when immature people are given authority. And here you have these soldiers, and they just start beating him, it says in verse 63. And they mocked him. We don't know what they said, but they said some horrible things. Just like they did at Gitmo. Did they mock those prisoners? You know what they did. They put underwear on their heads. I mean, they did all kinds of crazy things, didn't they? Stripped them. Humiliated them. Made them. They blasphemed Allah. Anything they could do to get these people aggravated and get a response out of them. And this is what's happening here. They mocked Jesus and they beat him. And then verse 64 says, And having blindfolded him, does that sound familiar? They struck him on the face and they asked him, saying, Prophesy! Which one of us hit you? Tell us! There's six of us around you. Which one of us hit you? Who's the one that struck you? And many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. So Jesus, we don't know how long this lasted, but it probably lasted for an hour or two. And he just stands there and he takes it. He takes all the blasphemy, he takes the mocking, he takes the beating, he takes the... Prophesy! Who hit you? Ha <laughs> You can't tell! The irony is that he is a prophet because he just said Peter would deny him three times. He was right on the mark. But he's not going to enter into their game. So finally, at some point, they probably just give up. So we see the denial, we see the revile, and then finally we come to Jesus' trial in verse 66. It's not a trial as you think of it. I would liken it more to a grand jury. Grand jury is a body of people who consider evidence. If there's enough evidence to try the person, then they recommend the person goes to trial. Uh, this is a grand jury of the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin. They're going to determine whether there's enough evidence to send Jesus to the Roman government to stand trial. Because they don't have any authority to do anything to Jesus. The Jews are, are uh, they handle their local affairs, but, and they can handle some small things, but they can't put anybody to death, can't imprison them for a long period of time. And so they're going to have to send Jesus to Pilate. Is there enough evidence to send him to Pilate? That's what we have here. So look at verse 66. Verse 66. And as soon as it was day, the elders of the people 
and the chief priest and the scribes came together and led him to their council. So Jesus will appear before the Jewish council. We'll call that trial number one, actually a hearing. Uh, he will then appear before Pilate. He will then appear before Herod, the king, who is visiting Jerusalem this week. And then he will come back to Pilate for sentencing. So that's going to be the sequence that we'll be looking at. Okay? So, he's brought before the Sanhedrin called the council, and here's what they said to him, say to him. If you are the Christ, if you are the Messiah, tell us. That's the issue. That's the question. That's the issue at hand. Is Jesus the messianic ruler? Is he the one who's the king of the Jews who will overthrow the Roman government and set up the kingdom of God on earth? That's what they're asking. Okay. Now notice how they speak. It says, they came together, they led him into their council, and they said, now, they're speaking in unison here as a body. Obviously, they're not all speaking out. There's one person, there's a, you know, a prosecuting attorney, probably the chief priest, or head high priest, he's probably questioning Jesus, but he's questioning Jesus on behalf of the entire council. So they are unified in this. Are you the Messiah? Now look at Jesus' response. If I tell you, in verse 67, but he said to them, if I tell you, you will by no means believe. What does that mean? What kind of response is that? If I tell you, you will by no means believe. That means, why should I tell you? You've got your mind made up. You don't think I'm the Messiah. You'd be following me. So I'd just be wasting my breath. Why should I tell you? You've got your mind made up. Then he adds... And if I, verse 68, and if I also ask you, if I ask you, well, who do you think I am? You will know why, you will by no means answer me or let me go. If I ask you, do you think I'm the Messiah? Uh, what do you think? I'd just be wasting my breath. Uh, you've got your mind made up. So whether I answer, give you the answer or I ask you, your mind's made up, therefore it's useless. Okay? Now look at verse 69. Now he drops the bomb. Verse 69 is what will condemn Jesus to death. Okay? If you want to know what condemns him to death, it's verse 69. He says, from now on, or hereafter, from this point on, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. And that's the statement that condemns, statement that condemns it. From now on, or hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the authority or the power of God. This is a quote from Psalm 110. Jesus identifies himself as the Messiah who's going to be God's right hand man. He calls himself the Son of Man. What did they ask him in verse 67? Are you the Christ? He says, he uses the term Son of Man. That's the term that's found in Daniel. There's a being that goes into heaven and he receives, called the Son of Man. Daniel has a vision. He sees the Son of Man who ascends into heaven and he receives from God a kingdom. And Jesus identifies himself as that Son of Man. Okay? Now, they're going to put him to death. They're going to find him guilty. 
But guess what he says? You'll find me guilty, but from now on, guess what you'll see? The Son of Man <coughs> will be at God's right hand and will have all authority. You will proclaim me guilty. God will vindicate me. See? You will reject me. God will accept me as his spokesman. You will dishonor me. God will honor me. He will raise me up. So he claims to be the Son of Man in Daniel, which, by the way, is the same as the Messiah. Notice the timing of his rule. Very important that you see this in verse 69. The Son of Man will sit at God's right hand when? Hereafter. Right after this thing happens, right after this trial, from now on. I mean, we're talking within just a matter of hours or days. Notice that he will be ruling immediately. There will be an immediate rule of Jesus. This is why we say the kingdom is now, and there's a future aspect of the kingdom, but there's also a present aspect of the kingdom. Now look at verse 7. They ask him a second question. Then they said, they all said, one man probably spoke on their behalf, are you then the Son of God? Now there's three titles that have been used. Christ in verse 67, Son of Man in 69, <coughs> Son of God in verse 70. Do you see that? Christ means Messiah, Son of Man is this heavenly ruler, and Son of God is the phrase that is, when he says Son of Man, what do they think? Heavenly ruler, therefore they ask him, well then are you the Son of, son of God? And the Son of God is a title for God's King. Okay, God's King. And he said to them, this is his reply. He said to them, You rightly say that I am. In other words, you said it. And he takes their question and he turns it into a confession. And then they said, What further testimony do we need? We've heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Heard what? What he said right there in verse 69. That I'm the Son of Man, I'm going to rise up and I'm going to rule the world. I want to be God's right hand man. That's why they say in verse 71, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Now in our legal system, we have rights. If you're arrested, you're read your rights. You have a right to remain because anything you say can and will be held against you. That's exactly what's happened. Jesus has spoken, they're going to hold it against you. They didn't have that right. They didn't have that kind of right in Rome and in, under the Jewish system. Uh, but he didn't remain silent, and by opening his mouth, he incriminates himself. Now, when we go to trial, we also have another right. It's called the Fifth Amendment. What's that right? Right against self-incrimination. Yeah, Right against self-incrimination that you don't have to speak. You can say, I, you know, I plead the Fifth Amendment. I have the right not to incriminate myself, not to speak and have the information I give used against me. Jesus speaks. He doesn't plead the Fifth. Why doesn't he plead the Fifth? Because he chooses. He 
lays his life down. Right, because he's going to die and he knows he's going to die. He lays his life down. They condemn him. They're going to condemn him to death. And Pilate's going to condemn him to death. But they couldn't have if he hadn't incriminated himself. It was his own words that condemned him. So Jesus knows that he is to die. And it's only going to be through his death because verse 69 is resurrected, resurrection language. In order for him to ascend on high and sit at God's right hand, what must he do first? He must die. So Jesus is willing to die. He's willing to come under the authority of the officials and be condemned to die because they're the ones that will condemn him to die. But... God will vindicate him and raise him from the dead and he will seat him in his right hand and then we will see who the ultimate authority is, whether it's the Sanhedrin or whether it's Caesar. And suddenly we realize that Jesus has the ultimate authority. And when he when he's rises from the dead, they won't be able to put him to death again. Amen. They won't be able to beat him again. That means he's won and they've lost. That's right. See? So... This is all falling into God's plans. Uh, Jesus is claiming that he's going to be at God's right hand, and by making that claim, he's claiming that he's going to be higher than Caesar. That's one thing Rome will not tolerate. Rome will not tolerate anyone who claims to have more authority than Caesar. Caesar represents Zeus. Caesar is God's representative, the highest Roman god, Zeus. He is Zeus's representative on earth. Caesar is the son of God. He will never tolerate anybody else saying that he's the son of God. That he has more authority than Caesar. And that's what's going to cause his death. So in this passage, we have three scenes. We have Peter, we have the police, and we have Jesus on trial. With Peter, we see folly. With the police... We, uh, Peter we see failure and with the police we see folly and with Jesus we see he seals his own fate Jesus in this situation is totally in control it's an amazing thing, Jesus is in control was he in control when Peter was denying him? yes he predicted that Peter was denying Peter could not, not have denied him Peter, Jesus was in control of the whole situation and then he looked at Peter was he in control when they were beating him? Yes, he let himself be beaten. That's part of what Isaiah says. He gave his back, in, in Psalms, he gave his back to be smitten. It says they plucked out his beard. The Old Testament talks about him being, his beard being plucked out. He was in control there. And he was in control of this trial. They thought they were in control, but he allowed his own work, his own words to condemn him. So in this, what we see is that Jesus alone acts according to the will of God. He's rejected by man, but he'll be accepted by God. But first he has to be humiliated before he can be exalted. And then next week, we will begin chapter 23, which says this. Then the whole multitude of them, we're talking about all 70 and probably the soldiers besides, arose, and they led him to the governor the Roman governor, Paul. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow, watch this, perverting the nation. Jesus 
was not condemned because he said you're going to one day die and go to heaven if you believe in me. That message would not condemn anybody. Why was he condemned? The charge perverting the nation, forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ. King. And that's what we'll condemn. That's what we'll pick up next week. Father, we thank you for the time that we can spend in your word. We can uh, look at a situation. We can see how Peter would handle it. We can see how immature people handle it. We see how people uh, in authority handle situations. We see immature people handling with authority handling situations. We see mature men in the Sanhedrin with authority handling a certain situation. And then we see how Jesus handles the situation. Oh, Lord, help us to be more like Jesus. Help us to stay in your room. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Don't forget the President's Council meeting.